Hi guys, welcome to another ACR Radio. This week we're talking to Col Skinner. Now, Col worked for an agency in the past. He decided to leave and set up his own, taking the best bits uh, he thought of, of agency life into um, freelancing, into working for himself and as a startup. Now, what's really interesting about Col is while he was doing all this, he wanted a side hustle on a side hustle, which is Graft. Um, it's his product-based website, which is printed T-shirts and key rings and other merchandise and stuff like that, which is really, really cool. So go check it out. we put the links in the show notes. Um, now, Col is very much, when you listen to uh, his story, really interesting story, really interesting guy, but he, a lot of it is on his own terms, which is absolutely fantastic. When you're a freelancer, you sometimes fall into the trap of have to do it, have to take the work I can get, and Col has supported himself with it. A plan, not so much a plan B, but a side project to enhance what he's doing. He's worked out his productivity levels, when he's best, when he's worst. And when he wants to be creative, he can go and, and delve into product. And when he wants to be really hands-on with the uh, more integrated side of paid media, which is what he focuses on now, he can get his hands dirty with that. So, again, thanks to Cole for taking the time to speak to us. Thanks for sharing his story. And I really hope you guys enjoy it. Okay, so this week on the show, we've got Cole Skinner, who's um, a founder of Pro Foundry. Um, Cole has been agency side. He's worked with different agencies in the past and gone solo and things like that. And we've got him on the show today to talk about his journey, what he's learned, what, what his business does, what he specializes in and why and all these kind of things. And straight off, we just want to say again, Cole, massive, massive thank you for taking the time out to share your story and share your kind of insights into freelancing and consulting and, and starting your own business. You're welcome. It's fine. Uh, so for those uh, who are not familiar with Profoundry or not familiar with your story, do you want to give us a, a, a bit of background on what you do and, and where you started from? Uh, sure. So, um, so 2014, um, I had done about six years in agency side and a client side role for a year, um, doing um, a mixture of sort of SEO and PPC and a bit of outreach um, as sort of things changed. And got to the point where I was managing a team um, and started to realize that um, I didn't necessarily want to do things someone else's way. It all came about through starting a small business called Carved uh, that did laser engraved wooden business cards and, and iPhone skins and stuff. I started that whilst I had my full time job um, and that gave me a bit of a taste for control. And I realized that I was a bit of a control enthusiast. Uh, for one of a more, more positive term rather than control freak. Um, and you start to realize that the way the agency world worked, I was getting clients dumped on my desk day in, day out, who weren't necessarily suitable for the services that we were doing for them. Um, and you just had to get results. That was the way, you know, you had to upsell and all those other things. And I was just fed up of that. So um, after Christmas, um, Jan 2014, I came back in um, and had realized that, I kind of wanted to, to quit my job. Um, I'd actually, by pure coincidence, sold my half of Carve to my business partner, um, had a bit of money in the bank um, that could fund um, my personal bills for a bit. And the more I thought about it, the more I couldn't kind of stop thinking about it in terms of I just kept on thinking about quitting. I couldn't even get back into my day-to-day. Um, so actually, the same day I got back in, I walked into my boss's office and basically gave my notice and. And then after that came like a ghost, really, like all your responsibilities are pretty much taken off you or taken off me. And I had a lot of sort of time to start thinking about what I wanted to do um, with the skills that I'd acquired um, and what who I know and all those sort of things. So I started to forge um, the sort of format of a consultancy business where essentially I... I do insight, so sort of auditing and training and then strategy, where it's obviously doing the strategic planning and stuff of, of digital marketing elements um, with a focus on paid media advertising and then the delivery of uh, campaigns, so the setup management reporting of, of paid media campaigns across um, 
Google search, Bing, uh, display ads, uh, remarketing, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube, TrueView ads. So the more I kind of, uh, I started that business uh, in Jan 2014, well, or Feb 2014, when I I finished my my agency job. And from there, I just kind of moved with what made me happy in terms of service, what made my clients result, you know, money. And from then, I've kind of moved into much more of a focus of paid media advertising. I've kind of dropped all the training. Um, I don't really do as much kind of auditing, although I do audit accounts, advertising accounts. And now it's much more the day-to-day management of um, campaigns across those platforms I just mentioned for clients. So you mentioned the story of you starting is is really impressive in that you just kind of took took the plunge and said, I'm I'm done with this agency. And um, you went in and told your boss that it, it was done that day. Was it? Uh, when you started the agency and you were doing the audits and the trainer and all these kinds of things, was that something that at the start of your agency job you had focused on or was it something that you'd, jump, you'd kind of dabbled in and been interested in and then thought, that's that's what I want to progress with? Was it? So did you stay when you start, started your business? Was it a comfort zone that you went into or was it something new? Um, it was a comfort zone to a degree. It was a, a decision based on what I had seen um, the SEO industry, um, bear in mind that that's completely third-party controlled by Google. Um, so obviously your organic rankings in search engines and how to game those. I'd seen that side of things fall in 2011, 2012 with big updates. And I've seen clients stop getting results in that area for hours and hours of work getting no results. So paid media for me seemed like the logical step to continue that that route and not offer any SEO services, despite the fact that I had a few years behind me doing SEO as well as paid media. Um, so it's a logical decision for me. I wanted to sit in meeting rooms and not feel like I'm conning someone or not feel like I'm, I'm promising the world and I can't deliver. Not that I can guarantee anything with digital marketing because it's all a bit of a, an assumption and a test and a, you know, whatever else. But I wanted to sit with clients and feel like I I could offer them quite instantaneous results and quite controlled. If I'm a control freak, I want to be able to control my results as much as possible. And, and search engine optimization just didn't sit well with me. So I never offered it as a service. I, I moved straight into paid media. And that was a comfort zone thing, a logic thing, something I felt like the, uh, there wasn't many people doing it um, as consultants rather than agencies. Um, surprisingly few people, to be honest, that's that's grown more since uh, then when we're talking sort of four or five years ago um so yeah it's just kind of uh, something i felt confident selling i didn't see the point in having sat in boardrooms being kicked under the table by salespeople to upsell whatever it is uh call tracking or remarketing or infographics whatever it was i wanted to feel comfortable in what i was doing and part of that meant you know selling something that i felt comfortable getting results for yeah so you talked a lot about um, being uncomfortable in the in the agency world towards the end. Um, what what kind of steered the, that that day? Was there one point where you can think that was the point where I said I'm done and I'm not gonna kind of like abide by anyone else's agenda or something like that? And where you mentioned before, you're getting kicked under the table and you're trying to sell services that your agency might not offer all the time or might not be as competent in as your pitching. Was there a moment where you're like, I'm done now, this is this is it? Okay. Or was it like a progression of things where you are sitting in meeting after meeting and you're just like, this this is not what I want. This is not where I want to be. It was a mixture of both. I think, I think that morning I probably came right back in after a holiday to find... I don't know, um, a, I think a, like a salesperson had promised a certain level of results from a, for a client that was completely unrealistic. Uh, that would probably be one. But then it was a, it was a, an amalgamation of everything, like months and months of sitting in meetings, uh, you know, having to bullshit clients uh, about whatever, you know, and starting to do like sell disavows. So obviously, if you've done loads of backlinks for SEO benefit and created lots of backlinks, those were starting, some of them were starting to damage clients' rankings in that agency. And we started selling the service where we remove links. 
which just felt ridiculous. And it felt like we had lost a lot of control um, over wash services. And as I said, starting my own business whilst running, um, whilst working for an agency made me realize what's involved and how much I enjoy everything being on me and not having necessarily a team, a massive team below me to, to tell what to do and all that sort of side of things. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of sort of Chinese whispers by the time it, the client gets their words over to the account manager and they get their words to you having just been, I don't know, selling cars a few years before and now they're selling digital marketing. You just, you know, it's just inevitable that there's going to be screw ups and there's going to be a, um, a high turnover of clients and a high staff turnover and all those things that, that started to really get to me after a lot of years in agency side and realizing that the solution wasn't moving jobs i'd move jobs every at least every year to 18 months so i'd work for three agent three agencies and one client side role at that time um and realized that wasn't the solution it had, it had to be something else i'd earn a lot of money i'd you know i'd earned you know more than my goal amount kind of had been at that time and that didn't make me happy so it was this kind of realization that i haven't tried self-employment and i can try it and then come back if it fails um it's not this kind of you know you know like moving to australia thing people think you're gone forever you can get a flight back it's the same concept it's you know if it doesn't work you go back into full-time work because i've got the skills to do so um so it didn't, it didn't seem it's a no-brainer really so then is when you mentioned before you've moved around agencies a little bit and you've tried new things and different things and all stuff like that and it sounds like you're quite open to try and um not necessarily going with the grain and and like you, you've started this side business while you've been in the agency and stuff like that um is it is it fair to say then that freelancing or going solo was was always a goal or did it come about as a, a other option to, to um what to do next because you've wrote for plenty of, of freelance publications now, e-consultancy, Freelancer Heroes, Freelancer Summer. There's so many when we, we go doing our homework and mm-hmm. going through your profile and stuff. So it seems like it's always been there as a something that you enjoy, something that you could potentially go into. No, I've never, I'd never done any, I'd never done any freelancing before I went solo, and freelancing had never been a thought of mine or going solo in that regard doing digital marketing i think originally i felt that a business like carved would be the out of digital marketing as in i would leave digital marketing to start a business that doesn't do digital marketing but very quickly realized that i have a certain set of skills i've learned over a number of years that can pay the bills and give me a certain if I can achieve a lifestyle business, which I know is an overused term now, but the definition for me is is uh, live, uh, working to live, not living to work, i.e. You, you're making enough money to pay personal bills and work bills and have time spare to do your passion. If I can achieve that, then maybe I can start another business like Carved. I can do something creative. And when I realized that, I realized that you know I, I've got the skills. I've done... I've worked in agencies and that's the key for me is agencies put you in front of loads of different businesses in every single industry and size. Um, They get you communicating with clients directly or indirectly. They get you working on projects directly or indirectly, Um, you know, managing teams and managing people and all those other things. I felt like, you know, whatever solo life is going to throw at me, why can't I handle it? You know, um, so yeah, it's not been. It was never a, a goal to go freelance from the start. It just came about through circumstance. Really. It's interesting how it, so many people we've interviewed for for the for the show and who tell their story. Like it's it's a, a kind of an organic evolution, if that makes sense. Not a lot of people have have forced their journey. I think. Um, like you said before, you you have this set of skills and you're going to use this set of skills. It's interesting that when you first thought about leaving, that you wanted to do something completely different and you weren't really interested in what you're doing now as as a freelance option or as a solo option kind of thing. Is that what has spawned your well your consultancy 
and having now a side hustle of its own, if, you, if that's the right phrase, in graft.shop. Is that where you mentioned before about the personal passion and you wanted something away from digital marketing and things like that? Is that where this, that store came from to say, this is something that it, there's not really any pressure on in terms of paying the personal bills, like you mentioned before, because you have to have that income yeah. to support yourself, your family and everything else. Was grafted like a passion project kind of thing where you look at it and think, yeah, exactly. if it works, it I works. Think. And if it doesn't, I haven't really lost too much. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the point, you know, you've been running a business for coming up to five years and you know how much time it requires. You start to get your, your grasp on the planning and the project management side of things and the communication and all that sort of thing. And I mean, to be honest, I didn't plan on starting Graft. I always planned on something creative because I, I that's like an outlet for me. I need something to kind of um, digital marketing can be creative, but it's a different type of creativity. Um, I like graphic design and things. I don't do graphic. I'm not a graphic designer, but I like the opportunity to mess around. I don't know, create my own tattoos or create my own logos. I absolutely love the process of starting a brand, um, whether it was carved, whether it was profoundly, whether it was graft. I love that process. And I thought to myself, how, how can I get a business that lets me do that a lot and a merchandising business like graft where I can produce different designs, whether that's Manchester themed designs or as I all seeing eye designs, whatever it is and put them on clothes. And if I can get my system right with drop shipping and logistics and all that, then I can test things. And as you said, it's, it's um, it doesn't have to be, the be all and end all the making money it can just be a side project that's the sort of definition for me i suppose is the lack of pressure to have that um project or business making your sole income um essentially it can be a bit of a um like you know, self kind of thing like yeah, something fun. yeah. It's money it creates money but it's not its job isn't to create money its job is to create I give you a, uh, you know, uh, a passion or, or fuel that passion or fuel your creativity and have a bit of fun, you know, when you've got to the point where you've built a business up that's funding your lifestyle and your business world, then you can do that, I think. Um, and I might, I intend to carry on that, that theme of, of having these ideas for businesses and taking them until the point of failure rather than this concept of like, Oh, that's a good idea. I wonder if someone's done that and then just leaving it. Graft was something that I took further. And since then, I've had two business ideas that I've taken further than idea to the point where they've, they've failed and they, they aren't at the moment a viable business. But I took them to the point where I, I figured that out. I didn't just talk about them. them on the table. Yeah. So then with um, Graft, where does the, I know this is a kind of a crazy question because it can come from anywhere, but is there a, a specific place where the inspiration comes from? Like there's a lot of Manchester related uh, designs on there and um, there's some entrepreneurial um, uh, quotes and things like that and sayings and, uh, and all this kind of stuff. Do you, do you get, where do you get your inspiration from or what kind of fuels the creativity behind Graft? So the whole thing started really um, with the Manchester bombing um, that seemed to sort of, obviously I've lived in Manchester for 11 and a half years now. Um, and after the bombing, Manchester as a brand just became so strong at like the B, which the council had been using for years and Manchester had been using for years with this industrial past became like such a strong sort of symbol. I thought I'd have a play um, doing my own version of a Manchester themed logo. And then I did that and I created some t-shirts um, for myself and for the missus um she wore them into um into her office at the time and i wore them around and people started saying i'll have one of those and then when i had about sort of 30 plus orders from from people i realized why don't i just i can i know how to create sites i've done it in the past just use shopify create a website people can order them find a drop shipping provider you know job done like they can just basically do it all themselves and i don't have to do them do anything so i did that and then the dropshipping provider also sold clothes and tote bags and whatever else. So I started offering more stuff. And then um, the carved influence of, of the laser engraved wood started to come in where I I realized like wooden key rings would be awesome. 
laser engraved and wooden combs and stuff. I just started experimenting and doing testing of different products. And then I put use Instagram to and Twitter to test whether people are interested in it. And if people were, I would then do a little order. Um, and then it's just gone from there. It's, I joined with Forever Manchester's charity um, to start contributing to them and, and carried on really with whatever people want, whatever people buy. I tend to just kind of push that um, and make more of that or make different versions of that or whatever. Um, so, yeah, now we're in so two Zypherblatts, uh, which are like cafes that you pay per minute, um, Anko's General Store in Anko's, um, selling the key rings, and then got the combs in uh, two Baba Baba stores, one in Hale and one in Deansgate, and then a barber in Anko's and a barber in Northern Quarter. Um, so, yeah, it's just kind of gone into the point where I'm selling in stores as well. Um, but it's not meant to be like, you know, I'm not interested in going to Selfridges or anything like that. It's all small batch, independent stuff, bit of fun. I'm not, I'm not interested in getting it to the point where it starts to stress me out. When it is stressing me out, I start to try and re- like realize why and then maybe cut back a bit or we'll have a little break because it's not about that. It's not about having something that makes lots and lots of money. Great, I've made £300 to Forever Manchester so far um since march which is nice yeah um obviously i make you know i make a profit as well i'm not going to run a business that makes a loss but it's you know it's it's not meant to take over my dad always kind of warns me like why make sure profoundry is still uh still running and of course it's not you know it's not um that's not suffered at all um it's just something else really it's just a, as you, you call it a side hustle yeah. and i don't want it to become necessarily anything else so how do you um, how do you split your time between the two then? Because it's interesting from a um, main income point of view to a this is something that I can play with. I'm happy to keep it small and and sustainable and not really take much time and stuff like that. The, the site looks great and the designs are really really clever. I think I was I was having a little mooch around the site uh, over the last couple of days and seeing the different things and stuff like that. So how how then do you say Profoundry is the the number one in the day, but there's also orders to place, or there's um, barbers asking for the combs, or there's uh, small stores asking for the t-shirts yeah. and stuff like that. Is it yeah, a 80-20 split, 50-50 split? How does that work? I've never I've never run a business that works nine to five. Um, and I, I don't, when I say that, I mean, I set out to not conform to nine to five what's the point in going solo and then working the same way everyone else does your productivity peaks and troughs do not conform to nine to five you you know you some people are productive in the morning some people in the afternoon some people in the evening so i never i you know i'm kind of people at work in my co-working space taking the piss out of me because i come in and i'll come in at 11 leave at three something like that <laughs> nice. um but with technology you know it's you know my mobile phone's virtually a, a laptop in itself and i've got lots of apps that help me and stuff you don't need to be in front of sat in front of a computer to be doing business um so with the balance i just i just know that once you know my profoundry stuff in that day the priorities and the things i wanted to achieve that day are finished the rest of the time can be graphed basically um, but graph doesn't take up. It's made to not take up much time. Um, so was that it's, a conscious it's just decision a, to say you you would use drop shippers and um, third parties rather than source the product yourself? It was it, it was a conscious decision from you uh, and your, your, the business to say it will not take up much time. It was it was a, a time and logic decision. I mean, think about it. If you aren't using drop shipping. You've got to buy in stock that sits in somewhere. And I don't have loads of room anywhere, whether it's my house or my office, to hold loads of stock. So you've then got stock that you're then pressured to sell versus, um, you know, I, I found a company that integrate with Shopify so that all of their products, the orders go straight through to their system from Shopify to their system. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong, not everything's drop shipped, all the wooden uh key rings combs all that is is essentially done in batch orders of 25 to 50 items um and then i held them in in boxes in my office and then 
distributed out and sold on Etsy and sold on Shopify and sold in stores. But all the clothing and the tote bags and stuff like that and the slate uh, coasters and the um, hip flasks and things. If I can drop ship it, I will over anything else. But it's just it's just logic. Like I don't want to hold lots of stock. I don't want to have lots of money tied up in stock. I don't want to have lots of time posting stuff out because that takes a lot of time. Um, so yeah, it just it was a decision that that if I can simplify things, why wouldn't I? It doesn't have to be. Uh, if you have a business selling merch, this is how it's done. You know, dropshipping is a great um, way of of getting around stuff. And don't get me wrong, you know, you've still got to deal with managing screw ups from dropshipping companies and printers and stuff. But I think in the long term, it it works out better. Um, it allows me to spend more time on on the fun stuff for graft and the the hard work for profoundry. Um, yeah. So then, if there's We've talked a lot about um, your <clears throat> agency side, your uh, start on Profoundry and start on Graft and, and all those kinds of things. If there's one thing that any of our listeners are new to side hustling or freelancing or, or things like that, is there any tips that you would say, say top three, that you would say you, you should really get this in order or you should try this over that? What, what would be your startup recommendations? Um. There's no perfect time to start a business is a, <laughs> a key one. I think people, of course, you know, you can save loads of money. So if, if everything fails, you know, that's probably a good idea. You know, getting experience, of course, is crucial and stuff. But it's not really something, you know, you can wait and wait and wait. But I don't know. I think there's, there's never a perfect time to start a business. Um, but when you do start one, uh, sort of, planning to succeed but preparing to fail is always a good idea so rather than having like blinders on that you're just it's just going to work what happens if it doesn't work you know um, what happens if business doesn't come in what are you going to do what you know what happens if that doesn't work what are you going to do once you don't get money what are you going to do because all those you know that could happen and it's, it's feast and famine running a business whether it's a service or product business you'll have peaks and troughs of you know, suddenly you've got lots of work, suddenly you've got no work. You can't control it um, to a degree. You can t- control the flow of clients, um, like inbound clients and stuff, I suppose. But you could have, you know, if you have a lot your eggs in three clients' baskets and then Brexit happens and you lose them all or whatever, then you, mm-hmm. you know, you have to start again, you know. Um, so that's something surrounding yourself by supportive people is a, probably a good tip so you you often get all the naysayers come out of their um holes when you start say you're going to quit your business and start a business you know it's everyone from your colleague to your nan to your parents to your brother whatever um will often go you're mad don't you know don't do this don't do that i can't believe you're doing it blah blah, blah. um loads of people just can't get their head around the fact that this is becoming a norm for people to actually run their own business um remotely or not um at the end of the day it's going to be on you to do it if you're running a business on your own or with a business partner it's going to be on you too or you to do everything you'll be sales you'll be accounts until you're an accountant Uh, you'll be doing the invoicing you'll be doing the service delivery whatever it is all the comms um so it doesn't so long as you believe you can do it it doesn't really matter what all these people are saying but it is a lonely existence so surrounding yourself by you know going to networking events and going to um i don't meet ups and all that sort of thing you're just meeting people and not sitting in your your office or your home office or whatever it is wishing people would come to you that's never going to happen you might as well go out it doesn't matter if there's an agenda or not behind meeting someone go and you know make new contacts because you never know how it'll how it'll uh where it'll lead and it's nice to have someone here like find someone who's done it um something similar it doesn't mean like they set up the same business but they've done something they've gone solo in the last few years and go and meet them and get a bit of mentoring from them i mean i wish i had had someone who had set up a digital marketing business or solo uh, to go and talk to because i didn't and it would have been quite nice to bounce ideas off and make sure i'm going down the right routes um and then separating work and personal lives, I think that's really important. I think it's so easy when you run your own business to take work home, whether it's having an office that is your office, somewhere separate where you can't even see your computer when you're hanging out in the lounge. 
or getting into a co-working space like I have done, which is really, really good because then you've got the best of both worlds. You've got people around you who are working. They're there when you need them. They're there. And then when you're not, you don't need them. They're just working around you to motivate you to work. Obviously, you've got the social side of that as well. Um, yeah, I think you'll thank yourself down the line if you can separate, have a clear separation between work and personal, whether that's side hustle or um, full-time solo. Yeah, I think, you, you know what, I think you're really spot on with the <clears throat> separating. Well, I'm, I'm at that stage now with my business where I do, I'm free to go whatever I want and work in coffee shops or in, in offices and stuff like that from, from clients and things, but because I do do a lot of work at home, home is not my switch off place anymore, which you've probably been through as well before you go uh, the co-working space where you're like, because I'm here. I never, I, I never worked from home. I went to a co-working space straight away. Oh, did you? Yeah. How did? Yeah, then, I didn't uh, do any that, homework. Was that a conscious decision to say I refuse to work at home because that's yeah. where I chill out? Yeah, it was a conscious decision to just mm. straight away from the offset have a separation and whether that's walking four minutes down the road or commuting but i refuse to commute to be fair so mine's always been a walk like a short walk um yeah it was always a decision to i've gone from managing a team of six people having them around me all the time in a 25 person agency to going to no one of course that's going to be an extreme difference so if i can make that easy by or easier by having people around me then a co-working space is the perfect scenario for me as well as separating um work and personal out yeah it's a nice middle ground most definitely so we've talked about you running the business and the side hustle and and all these things so specifically for your business out whether it's graft or whether it's um profoundry is there one tip that you would give someone to get the most out of their day um, do you sit in the morning and plan your day? Do you have a, a weekly planner? How how do you structure your time to get the most out of it? Uh, that's probably one of the things I need to learn <laughs> to, to do. I'm still after five years, not really uh, nailed that down uh, in terms of a, a structured system. I think I'm I'm heavily motivated by ticking boxes. And when I say that, I mean ticking off tasks. So I'm not a person who's going to let something sit for ages I'm likely to, um, even if it's 12 at night and I get an email, I'll probably still kind of tick that off or put it into a box to do tomorrow or something. Um, so it's just being conscious, I guess, of, of, you know, you can write down what you want to achieve that day and things. I've never actually been someone who's motivated like that, but I am. I always go into the next day knowing what I want to get out of it. And then once I've ticked those boxes, I then give myself a, you know, a break. Um, and maybe I'll go and work on graph. Maybe I'll go home and play on my PlayStation. Maybe I'll go for what the dogs. I don't, it sounds really like lazy, but I just don't see the point in, in putting loads of pressure on myself to achieve loads out of a day. I think I've built a business that like, I don't sell too much of my time. I just don't need to. Um, and that's not like a kind of, an arrogance it's a, a clear vision of how much time i want how much money how much time i want to sell how much money i want to achieve uh, or need to achieve and then there's a, a line there i'm not trying to start an agency for example which everyone assumes if you're going so in the digital marketing world you you want to become something bigger than yourself and you want to start an agency i'm perfectly happy to carry on being nimble and solo and you know work how i work it's worked so far and i don't see why it would need to change um so yeah for me it's just going back to what you said before it's very it sounds like you very much i um work to live i don't live to work that's yeah i think it's one thing saying it's another thing like actually applying it and i think if you set out with that vision then it structures everything around it rather than it's like five years down the line realizing that you're working more double as much as you did when you were full time it's this vision of well, you know fair enough if you're motivated by money you probably will be working double as much to get the same amount of money because that's just how the system seems to work solo um but if you're motivated by like i am like being in control of my work and personal lives together and um 
having something that funds this my personal lifestyle and whatever else that's in I'm in control of um, and gives me time to live and time to enjoy stuff rather than this concept of I want to build the biggest business the quickest I can and make the most money I can. If that's your motivation, then you're probably going to have quite a stressful existence, whether you're solo or full-time or whatever. But if you go into it with a mindset of, I can create something that utilizes the services I, the, the skills and I've experienced to, to create services or products, whatever it is, and I can sell those for a certain amount and make a certain amount of money that pays my personal and work bills and have some time left over in the week or in the day to do stuff and enjoy life, then I think that's far more personally, far more rewarding than having this. I, I, I retire at 40. I almost killed myself to do so. And I now I've got a million pounds until I retire or whatever. Yeah, that's so not really. Yeah. I'm what I want. I'm happy to work until, you know, I can't work. I'm not someone who wants to sit around on a beach um, you know, doing nothing. So if it's graft, if it's profoundry, if it's carved, you know, I'm interested to see what I end up kind of having left at the end in terms of whether it's digital marketing or something else I started. Um, but it's all through a, a kind of underlying, like a logic of how I want to work and how much I want to work and things that dictates all that. So you just, you mentioned a lot before about, um, the work work life balance and um, you only sell a particular amount of your time so that you can be comfortable you can play playstation you can take the dogs for a walk and there's no real pressure on you to um <clears throat> to go up not go above me on that's the wrong way but you sell a particular amount of time so that you have a particular amount of time to yourself so then how do you manage um working with teams across the world like you, you work with teams in dubai in the us and stuff like that how with the different time zones and the different expectations of those guys how do you manage that process i suppose it's being it's being as transparent as you can from the start but you're not trying to paint a picture that you're a lazy person or anything like that you're trying to paint a picture that you have a certain amount of time and they're they're getting that time as well like it's you know if i can't sell or i don't want to sell loads of time then I'm going to be very selective about the types of businesses I sell that time too, aren't I? I'm not going to sell loads of uh, days or money's worth of business to a client that's likely to take the piss and use more than that amount of time. Because um, obviously, if a, if a client isn't good at communicating or as I know, tends to always over-expect you to do more or something, then if I can get those warning signs at the start, then I'm, I'm probably not going to work with them. I'm going to probably go with a guy who's much more concise with his explanations of things. His understanding of digital marketing and the value of digital marketing is good, but he wants to leave it to me. He understands that I've got 10 years experience. He's got none. And I'm, I'm going to ask a lot of good questions and a lot of, get a lot of insight from his business. And then I'm going to apply that to set up my marketing campaigns. So it's, it's about picking the right clients as much as it is about dictating to those clients how you're going to work. But I think obviously expectation management is key anyway in any business. So I'm making sure those clients understand that you have other clients for starters. You're not just working with them. You might not always answer the phone because you have other clients and because you have a life and whatever else and setting those things in motion, you know. If you don't want a, a client to expect you to answer the phone all the time, don't answer the phone all the time. Yeah, don't answer the phone the You know, set set clear communication boundaries. For example, um, on unless you record all phone calls, which I don't know many people who do in my service industry, um, and if you do, you have to tell people anyway, you're not going to have a paper trail of what was said. And if you haven't got a paper trail of what was said, then clients can say they said anything when it comes to, you know, stuff going wrong or whatever else, and you have no proof. If you run everything via email or via, say, Skype chat or whatever else, um, or Slack or something, then you've got um, proof in a paper trail of what they said when they said it. And that will be really important for whatever you do. And it sets boundaries of, of 
your time. You can reply to an email in your own time. You can't reply to a call in your own time. You have to pick up the phone or you don't pick up the phone. So understanding what communication formats work for your business and then setting those from the start that most of the communication is going to be through email, then some Skype calls to catch up about reports every month and whatever else. And as long as you set those boundaries, the client and the the client understands them as an agreed to understanding them, then you should be fine. Then you're good to go. So then what we talked about a lot of things then about setting personal boundaries, managing clients' expectations, um, communication elements of are we going to talk over Skype? How often are we going to chat? Um, If anything comes up in between, stuff like that. So what out of those things or something different is, would you say, is the most important lesson that you've learned since going solo and since having your own consultancy? Is there something that really stands out to say, I'm glad that is the thing I've done? Um, I think that, I mean, the setting of boundaries and, and having a clear mindset of what type of business I want to run. And when I say type, I suppose I mean like an internal culture that I set myself. The, the kind of the underlying theme is, is, is avoiding things that cause stress. And if you've worked in an agency, you'll, you'll probably have a good understanding of what create stress stress for you stress for the client so for example i don't do any contracts i don't do any contracts because if i'm performing then i should be getting business and have business that stays why should i force someone to be contractually obliged to stay with me when i'm not achieving what they're they're hiring me to achieve so by not having contracts you avoid this kind of awkward six month review and granted you use harder like you've got to you've got to make sure you're performing because someone can leave tomorrow um but you know i learned all those things that are um barriers to entry and and stress points that agency clients seem to have and try to create a business that does the opposite whether that's being more transparent and not using smoke and mirrors and naivety to to game a client to, to gain more money or whatever and upsell services that aren't relevant um promising the earth and delivering nothing so i'd rather not promise anything and deliver some good results than go you're definitely going to get this result and then not achieve it so it's just like it's just logic like elements of you know not setting yourself up for a fall really yeah just be conscious of your abilities and expectations of a client if you you go in and you um, like you mentioned before, you're going into agency meetings and they were selling them the world. If you undersell and over deliver, it'll always be better than the opposite way around. It will always be better than selling a service that you're incapable of achieving and sustaining at, at a particular level that they expect. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's expectation management. It's education. Uh, education is something that uh, agencies thrive on uh, on a lack of for their clients because the, the least educated clients are going to say yes to the most things, whether that's a six month contract, a 12 month contract, upselling this, that, and the other, they're going to buy into all that because they don't know anything different. Whereas if I can educate my client to understand why this platform is more relevant than the platform they've been trying, and I can audit the platform that they've been trying and show that in, in black and white, then it's going to help me because it's going to allow me to tap the platform that I think is going to do really well for them because all their market, their target audience are sat there yeah. on that platform waiting for whatever their service is or searching for their service. Um, so I see, yeah, it's just things like that, putting a little bit more time into the client education side of it, client management side of it, and being more, more transparent and more um, like putting yourself in their, their shoes. You know, imagine you're spending your money not your spending their money and let's see how you budget it then and how you you know so the client comes to you and they've got two hundred fifty thousand pounds to spend in a year you don't need to just go two hundred fifty thousand divided by 12 spread across two platforms you can test small amounts of budget and a client will appreciate that they'll appreciate someone who comes in and is conservative and test a little bit of budget here a little bit of budget there and once they've proven assumptions right or wrong then start to up things and 
you know, so I'm not better. None of my fees are based on management fee. So I have no pressure on myself to achieve highest management, um, not management fee, my management fee, sorry, are based on spend, client spend. Um, so there's no pressure to increase the client spend, the media spend. Um, I'm based, It's all based on time. Yeah. So it's, you know, I know I can set up an account that's as complex for this amount of time, a less complex one for this amount of time. And as long as I'm, I'm good at uh, figuring that out, I'm going to make a profit and the client is going to get a, you know, a complex, segmented, targeted campaign at the end of it that hopefully gets them the results that they need. Yeah, it's interesting that you talk, you, you mentioned a couple of times about being completely transparent and being completely open and honest with people. I think um, I, I've met with a lot of clients and it, it goes a long way to be able to say, in, with the most respect in the world, what you're doing is not working, you need to do something else or um, what you've been told before is not technically the, the right thing you should be doing for your business when your audience sits in another place. I think if you yeah, can be that honest be. with people, people do respect it. And, and it, You shouldn't be a business. consultant if you're not. <laughs> if you're going to be no. a consultant or whatever you want to call it, um, you know, that's that's the key. Like your, your job is to basically critique what someone's doing and make it work like that's what it comes down to and if you can't do that mm. whether it's agency side or as a consultant then it's not you're not cut out for it because that's what people come to you for they come to you for the truth for third party opinion um and to obviously figure things out because they're not going the way they should so of course the change needs to happen for something to change yeah most definitely and it is it, sometimes it's a, a really refreshing conversation to have to to be able to be that honest with people and say there's no no inherent pressure on me right now to um to change everything you're doing but i can make what you're doing better i can achieve better results better return on investment the uh, for, for me i do a bit of ux stuff as well it's like the journey is not right if you change x y and z and it is about being completely open with people and i, I think it's been a theme throughout that it is a, a transparency thing where yes yeah, so you, you can as you can explain it in a concise way and you're not just slagging off their side for the sake of it and you can prove that those changes are likely to to make effect whether that's using competitors websites to show they're doing things differently and you they know that competitors growing more than they are or obviously using um a to b testing or um you know just just changing something and seeing the result um using google analytics or whatever data you've got you know, obviously data's the kind of key part of of what I do, what you do, you know, having that data to prove something is right or wrong is, is the ideal. And where you haven't got it, it's about using your experience to say, I worked with a client who did this and had that same problem and we did this. Um, obviously, that's partly why having experience before you go solo is so cr critical because you need to have those examples. You need to have had almost every problem happen to you or happen to your client's website or business or whatever to be able to turn around to someone in a boardroom and go i'm pretty confident this will work because i've experienced it before yeah Do you know what I, I interestingly i had this conversation the other day i was on a, a conference call with a client and to the way i find um this particular client one was going wanted to rebrand one way wanted to rebrand the other way there was discussions about tone of voice and things like that and how you position things on the website and things and we discussed quite a lot of a b testing and in the end one of the, co the comments was a b tested and then it's it's not subjective anymore you have your view of the brand you have your view of the brand which is fine your customer has another view of the brand but then when the numbers come back and say statistically this is the answer no one's opinion really matters in in the most respectful way you can no, say that it's one of them where data drives the decision it's not what do you think what do you think you've got more pull than me so you'll yeah. get a goal no yeah assumptions it's not everyone has an assumption and i always say that i need to get enough uh, data to get enough averages uh, to prove that assumption right or wrong and until i have that data and have those averages on a on a decent scale then I can't tell you if, if that's going to be the right lane or that's the right lane. But as soon as I know, then something can happen, i.e. switching an account off, moving that that budget over to there, 
uh, editing or optimizing a, an ad uh, advertising campaign or the copy or the content you know once you've got the data it's so easy to to tell but i don't like all this like um crystal ball shit where oh, yeah. you get like people wanting you to forecast scenarios and tell them what they are going to get from the other end i don't care if you've been doing this for 10 years or 20 years or you work in seo or you work in ppc or whatever you cannot outline say what the end result is going to be from a campaign you can work out averages of conversion rate you can work back from that knowing that certain uh, clicks are needed and from back from that to know certain impressions are needed or whatever else either way forward or backwards to work out budgets and things but i i'm honest with my clients and say i don't know what the outcome is going to be until we test it and we need to test it properly and the difference between you guys doing it and me doing it is it'll be done properly it'll be done segmented it'll be done you know really really targeted and everything will be tested and tracked and that's yeah. you know, that's the best i can kind of achieve no that it is and i i do have the same like you probably um have those test conversations all of the time where it's like if, if you don't test you don't know and what you'll happen what will happen in the business is this conversation will go on and on and on and on until someone has the, the the backbone to say test it or someone has to say so to say test it because it's all subjective it's all uh, a matter of opinion until like we said before the data comes back and really steers what what you should or shouldn't do in, in a particular scenario um so with, with with that then i think we'll start um we'll start wrapping up and i know that i sent you when we started our discussions about coming on the show and getting involved and all stuff like that we have we always end our show with five quick fire questions four quick fire questions sorry so if it's okay with you we'll jump into our quick fire and see what yes. we get from that is that okay yep so uh the first one is the app everyone on digital has a favorite app everyone who works uh within the digital space will have an app that they go to whether it's social whether it's relaxing whatever it is so we want to know what yours is Mine's gonna be really like boring now. <laughs> I, didn't think, I didn't think about the social side. I just thought about my work. Oh, you can um, just do work related then. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. So work related, it would be probably um, I use Free Agent for accounting software. Okay. So I have an accountant, but obviously a lot of uh, a lot of the stuff still comes back to me as the business owner. Um, so the Free Agent app allows me to send invoices, track invoices. I can take photos of receipts and upload them and explain them. Um, obviously see how much um, money the business is bringing in and check all those sort of things on the move. Um, so for me, you know, as a business owner and running two businesses now and trying to keep track of from a financial point of view, I think that's, that's great. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm not in it 24 seven, but to be able to do that on the move and all in one place is, is, you know, kind of priceless for me. Was it, did you go with that app because it was recommended? Did did you try other accountant apps like I know there's QuickBooks and, and Zero and I think the like team was Free Agent. Uh, Carved started with Free Agent, yeah. um, and then Profoundry's been through Free Agent. Um, my accountant is Free Agent approved. I've done uh, freelancer events where Free Agent have sponsored the events um, that I've run, um, and they just yeah they just always kind of done what it says in the tin. It's just worked really well for how I work. Yeah, um, so I've not anything else. It just it just works for me, and, you know. And if something works for me, I don't ever see the point in in changing. And obviously, you know, my I get it free with my accountant as well, so I'm not even paying for it really. Cool. Okay. So then our next one is your favorite book. Is there a book that has motivated you, inspired you, or um, steered any any business decisions in that way um, that really stands out, or that you would say you need to read this book because it will teach you some stuff? I think um, it's probably really cliche and been said before, but um, there's a book called Start With uh, Start With The Why by Simon Sinek um, yeah. that for me, I read, um, I watched his his video version of it. Obviously, he's done a famous TED talk that he turned into a book. So I watched that before I started uh, Profoundry or just when I was starting Profoundry. And this is the same principle as the book. It's just a long version of it, really, um, with examples and stuff. But the, the concept of starting with why you're doing something rather than what and how and so on filtered in. For example, if you went onto my website, you went to the services section, each service has starts with a why 
of why that service is relevant to you as a client. Um, and then I've used it, kind of that concept throughout when I'm trying to think of how to pitch something to a client or why they should go with that platform, trying to sort of, it helps me frame um, or content for graphs or whatever, if I'm writing content for the graphs site, um, it just helps me frame everything, um, understanding why someone would choose to choose that service or why someone would buy that product. If I can, if I can nail that down, everything else flows. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? I have never read the book, but I am aware of the concept of start with why and, and always kind of have a reason for things. And it reminds me, not so long ago, probably a couple of months back, client in a client call and he was asking for various different kinds of um, functionality to be added to the website. And it's it sparked a, a why in, in the conversation. Every time he said, can we have, and I was like, why? If you give me a reason, then we can go away and build it or we can go away and have it built for you. And out of the four to five different things he asked for, I think there was only one he could really validate with a why and with a reason. And it, it wasn't sure. an insignificant amount of spend for the functionality. It was like, well, why do you need it? Why do you want it? What's it going to mm -hmm. do to the website? If it's yeah, not going to add value, yeah, yeah. If it's not going to add value, then give me a solid why. And I do, I, I do get that whole concept, and I think it really works when you're a consultant or a freelancer to say to a client, "Here's why you need the service." But on the on the flip side as well, like you were saying before, you you will question clients or you will be completely transparent and you will manage time and expectation and things. It's also for you to challenge them and say, why do you actually want it? Why do you actually need yeah. it? Is the... No, we want to be on Facebook. We want to be on Instagram. Yeah. Why? You're a B2B business. Why would you do Instagram? Oh, we want to get to our retail uh, managers through Instagram. You think by marketing to your you know, marketing to accounts that are run by a social media manager or, so, or social media assistant or an intern that you're somehow going to get to the retail manager or buyer of a business and they're going to buy your products. Like if you can, if you can frame it in a way, you can say like, why would you do that? And straight when it becomes illogical, it's easy to just knock it out as a, an idea. Yeah, it, it's, yeah, it is very much a, a, like a find a reason. And it's something that, um, I'm, I'm very conscious of with some of my clients too. Um, okay, is there, I know we've discussed find a why, is there a quote or a saying or anything like that that um, really stands out? I know Graft has got quite a few different sayings and motivational bits and bobs, but is the one that really stands out for you? So there's a, a quote that I found when I was starting up that's always kind of stuck with me. It's a quote by Toby Thomas, um, who's a kind of entrepreneur, business owner he's not, any, he's not like a simon sinek um kind of talk guy he's just a business owner i think but he's always um said on on the topic of being an entrepreneur um or a business owner he said it's like a man riding a lion people think this guy's brave and he's thinking how the hell do i get on the line and how do i get off how do i keep from getting eaten i've always felt like it's one of those things like i said before when you go so everyone's like i can't believe you're doing that and stuff and you have to have that kind of confidence if you're going to do it but then sometimes you do think what the hell am i doing and how did i get here um and sort of how do i keep this you know this thing going this lion not eating me um you know at times of course when things are tough yeah, that's exactly what you think and i just think it, it describes the kind of highs and lows and the kind of sometimes i don't even you know know what i'm doing and know how i got here and stuff but i'm going to crack on and make the most of it and do it you know what I had this say I had this conversation this morning with a with a client and saying about that you stress about different things and you worry about different things, but whether your business makes a hundred pounds or a hundred million pounds, you still have bills to pay, you still have a lifestyle like you mentioned before. You you work to, 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 to live the life that you want to live with the work life balance and things like that. You still have a mortgage to pay, you still have cars and family and kids and all these kinds of things. So the scale just scales up or down. The, the no, that's true. I've, like, I've bought a house. I literally bought a house in my first year. Um, well, applied to buy a house. It took uh, 13 months to be built. But, um, you know, applied for a mortgage as a self-employed person, went through that rigmarole and those hoops. Um, and then since starting the business, I've I've got two dogs, a house, a car, and then we're just in the process of buying another house and moving. 
Um, and none of these are things I've really thought of when I started the business, but it's actually starting a business and having the the money spare in my business account and allowing me to pay a dividend that allowed me to put a deposit down on a house that I never would have had that money spare. You know, we're talking like 10,000, something like that. Yeah. If I had been full-time, it just never would have been there. Certainly not within a year of going solo. As in uh, within a year, sorry, of being full-time, like saving up, I wouldn't have got that money. But within a year of being solo, I was able to, to have that money and put it into a house. And now we've, we're in the process of selling that house for way, way more than we bought it and buying a, a bigger house. So it's kind of, you know, although it seems mental to all these people, you know, the banks included, you're solo and you're a risk and all this. No, I'm in control of how much money I make. I'm not going to get fired by the agency I work for because I work for myself. And yes, I might lose clients and whatever else. I have to pay tax and, you know, corporation tax and whatever else. But I can make more money or make less money as my lifestyle changes. Um, yeah, whereas it's very difficult to do that in a very flexible way in full-time employment because your salary is often your salary for two to three years before you beg your boss that and or convince your boss that you actually are worth more than your salary. Yeah. It's interesting the way when you have a full-time job and you have to prove to someone else your worth. But when you work for yourself, you value yourself a lot more. Like I value my time now a lot more than I did when I was full time and I would go in and do the job and do what was expected and um, help the team and support the team as much as I could. I could. But I do value my time now a lot more than I did when I had a full time job. And you, like you just said before, it's what's the value of my time versus the life that I want and the balance that I want? And, and where does that sit? And where, where am I most comfortable yet still challenging myself to learn new things and do yeah, exactly. people can think of it more like that then it doesn't become monetary i think so many people move for monetary reasons or i said well, that seems to be the main reason and then what if you actually think about why you've maybe moved jobs in the last few years why you're not happy in this job and you weren't happy in the previous job you start to kind of get your motiv- your true motivations, and if you can align your next you know, your solo business to your true motivations, and you can be far more happy than if it's just about money. Which you know, if it's about money, then it's always going to be stressful because it's about you know making as much money, not about creating as much free time or whatever. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I most certainly do agree with you on that one. And then our last question then is, what would you? What's the one thing you would take to a desert island? It's like it's so hard not to go down the route of like technology with that question because obviously <laughs> my business from anywhere in the world pretty much. Yeah. So to have a laptop on a desert island, I'd also have a business running, and I'd also have the creative side of uh, graph to carry on doing. Um, but if we take tech out, I'd probably take one of my dogs or both my dogs if I was allowed, okay. since uh, they're they're great company. And and uh, if I'm on a desert island, I think that's what I'd want. Excellent. Okay, cool. Well, Carl, just just to wrap up our, our interview today, I, again, I really, really appreciate your time. I appreciate you coming on and talking to us. I think your story is fantastic um, and the way you've, you've changed and kind of by the sounds of it, you found that balance of what you're worth, what you want, what you don't want, and you've got the creativity and the freedom to, to take graft to pretty much whatever you choose to take it and the freedom to do that. Um, so a massive, massive thank you for sharing your story with us. No worries. No worries. You're welcome. Okay. Cool. Thank you. So there you have it. There's our chat with Carl, which I'm sure you'll agree. It's a fantastic story, like we mentioned at the outset. And what's really interesting for me is when Carl talks about why he set up Grafted, why um, he looked at that as, yes, you need to make money and you need to fund a lifestyle and you need to be um, secure in what you're doing. But making money isn't the be all and end all. If you have a comfortable life, which everyone's life can be deemed comfortable at any particular point. So it's not you have to make a million pounds to be comfortable. It's however you see comfort and however you see success. But then you also balance it with that element of creativity, that element of freedom. And probably he gets ideas from Graf that 
he can implement it in other places because he has the freedom to try. He has the freedom to look at things from a point of view of if it fails, it's fine. If it works, it's better. And that that's a really interesting takeaway for me and that should always have something that you can step back and look at in a different way or you, you get to the point sometimes in freelancing or in business where everything is just so fast and so full on and so intense that you need to step away sometimes and have that perspective and that's what it's about and I think that's what Cole has has grasped really really well and uh, what he, he tried to put across in the interview today so again a massive thank you to Carl a massive thank you to everyone for listening uh, and promoting the show and being included in the show we have plenty more interviews lined up for you which I'm sure you will enjoy as well so yeah, massive thank you. And until next week, we'll see you soon.